Let's read this chapter through, beginning of verse 1. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid. and Do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Then the officers shall speak to the people, saying, What man is there who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another dedicate it. Also, what man is there who has planted a vineyard and has not eaten of it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man eat of it. And what man is there who is betrothed to a woman and has not married her? Let him go and return to to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man marry her. The officers shall speak further to the people and say, What man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. And so it shall be, when the officers have finished speaking, To the people that they shall make captains of the armies to lead the people. When you go near a city to fight against it, then proclaim an offer of peace to it. And it shall be that if they accept your offer of peace and open to you, then all the people who are found in it shall be placed under tribute to you and serve you. Now, if the city will not make peace with you, but war against you, Then you shall besiege it. And when the Lord your God delivers it into your hands, you shall strike every male in it with the edge of the sword. But the women, the little ones, the livestock and all that is in the city, all its spoil, you shall plunder for yourself. And you shall eat the enemy's plunder, which the Lord your God gives you. Thus you shall do to all the cities which are very far from you which are not the cities of these nations. But of these of the cities of these peoples, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive. But you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you. Lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations, which you have done, for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. When you besiege a city for a long time, while making war against it, to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. If you can eat of them, do not cut them down to use in the siege, for the tree of the field is man's food. Only the trees which you know are not trees for food, You may destroy and cut down to build siege works against the city that makes war with you until it is subdued. Please keep your Bible open there. 
Uh, I came across this wonderful testimony uh, not too long ago in the Southrum magazine of a man by the name of Lance Corporal Patrick Steen. And he tells how when he joined the army, he, he, he didn't know the Lord at all, uh, but he came from a Roman Catholic background of sorts, and uh, he was used to going to Mass, but that was about it. But when he was away on training, they went to Wales, and there wasn't much to do at the training centre there, but so, and bit, being so wet all the time, as he says in his testimony, we spent most of our time uh, in the welfare suite. And while he was there, all the men seemed to be gathered round another man who was talking to them. And he went over to see who it was and what it was. And it turned out it was a man by the name of Bob Elliott, who's one of the scripture readers with Sazra. And uh, he was sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with these men. Now, while he was having this meeting in this welfare suite, he also had out a lot of Christian leaflets and tracts on the side and booklets free for people to take. And whilst uh, Lance Corporal Patrick Steen didn't stay for the conversation, he did pick up one of these books and take it back to his bunk to read that night. In his own word, uh, words, he says this, The tract itself turned out to be a great read about how a soldier had come to know Christ, despite being from a rough background and having a rough life during his career. Despite him seeming to be the least likely person to do so, given all that he had been through, this man decided to follow Christ, and because of that, his whole life had changed. As I finished the tract, I was left amazed. I'd never heard such a story and struggled to believe it was true. It was in that moment that I felt I was not alone. Despite where I was and how I was struggling through in that moment, I felt some sort of calming reassurance and something inside me told me I was not alone. Well, anyway, when he was uh, uh, released from this part of his training and they went, to, he was uh, then stationed uh, in a, a Rimi place in Borden, he met up with another scripture reader by the, man, by the name of Tian de Clark. And uh, I've read a, a bit about Tian de Clark. He is really a great evangelist from what I can tell. And Tian met up with him and said, would you like to read the Bible together? And because he had read this leaflet and he was interested, he said, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, he said, I don't, I don't really know anything about Christianity, although I come from a Catholic background. And he said, I've been reading the Bible just a bit when it's Mass, but that's all. Well, they started reading the Bible together. And as he says here, throughout our studies together, Tian showed me the truth of the scripture, how Jesus came into the world, died for our sins and then rose again, that we might live a life with him. It was one night in July of that year that I gave my life to Jesus. And the Lord did a wonderful work bringing that young man to saving faith. It's a wonderful testimony to hear how the Lord has worked in armed forces. And lots of people do think, like I said this morning, it's very strange to think of a Christian being in the army or a Christian being active or successful in the army. I've mentioned this gentleman before. His name is V. Galisher. Uh, he's in heaven now, but he was a, a, a man who was a Holocaust survivor. And he was a great evangelist in the land of Israel. And he was always evangelizing and getting into these big public debates. Because whenever you start evangelizing in Israel, suddenly the Orthodox appear in great numbers and try to overwhelm you and shut you down. 
But he had the answers and they couldn't compete with him. And on one occasion, they were arguing with him and uh, saying to him, uh, when they can't attack his arguments anymore, what they do is they attack you. And that's what they did to this man. They said, you're, you're just a foreigner. And he said, no, I'm not. I'm an Israeli. They said, well, you, you don't, you're not loyal to our country. He said, yes, I am. He said, I've fought in all the wars of this country. And they said, we don't believe you. And he said, I showed them. I came to Israel from Poland as a teenager after the Holocaust and fought in all of Israel's wars for almost 40 years. Also, all three of my sons have served in the Israeli military as well as my daughter. When they saw I had received the highest decoration this country offers, they almost went berserk. He says here, how can this be, they shouted. They examined his papers from all sides, trying to make sure the signatures were not forged. But they recognised the general's signatures and they could see they were genuine. He was awarded honours by the greatest generals in in Israel's history. So they grew quiet Then they began speaking to me with the highest respect. And if that were not enough, they also summoned their friends who usually despise people like me who believe in Jesus. Then one said, now we will open a new part of our conversation. We want to know how you came to believe in Christ. (laughs) That's a beautiful testimony, isn't it? And it's a soldier who was also a soldier of Jesus Christ. And you know what? That's what we're called to be, dear friends. We're called to be soldiers of Jesus Christ. Even if we're not actually in the military ourselves, we are called to be the Lord's people. Paul said to Timothy, as we read in the book of Timothy earlier, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, You, my son, be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardship like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And whether you want to be or not, you are in the Lord's army. You're an SAS member, saved among sinners. And uh, we've been drafted in by means of our, our turning to the Lord and asking him to save us. And therefore, we need to know how to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And I think when we look at Deuteronomy chapter 20, we see, as we look at this passage, some guidelines how that can be. Because in Deuteronomy 20, the Lord was giving through Moses to the people of Israel the lessons and the, and the rules for warfare. Let me just explain to you a little bit about the book of Deuteronomy. I want to try and get this uh, picture for you at some point. But this is a, a picture, of, a snapshot picture of the book of Deuteronomy. And the book of Deuteronomy is a book that looks in two directions at once. It looks back and it looks back on the lessons of the past. That's the first half of the book. And then it looks forward to Israel going forward. And you see the person who's made this diagram has put those two eyeballs there to try and illustrate that. And in the middle what you have is the rules and the legislation that God gave Israel for their uh, time in the promised land. So it's historical, legislative and prophetical. And the part we're looking at is in the middle. And what it is, is chapter 19 to 21 are are three chapters that actually have to do with the, the, the breaking 
of the commandment, do not murder, the, the, command, the sixth commandment uh, in the Ten Commandments. Chapter 19 has to do with the cities of refuge. Do you remember the ref- cities of refuge were for the person who accidentally killed someone, a, a case of manslaughter. Perhaps they were out working, uh, chopping down wood together, and someone pulls back their axe, and the axe head comes off, hits his fellow workman, and he dies. Now, the family have the right to execute you as an avenger of blood. So how are you going to get justice? How are you going to say, it was an accident, I didn't mean to. You flee to the cities of refuge. That's uh, uh, what chapter 19 is all about. Chapter 20, this chapter we're looking at here, is the rules for warfare, for when Israel went to battle. And in chapter 21, we have what to do when there was an unresolved murder, when somebody found a body in a field who'd been murdered. What do they do? What, what is the right thing to do as far as God's concerned in those situations? So these chapters all center around that issue of death and murder. And uh, warfare, of course, is to do, unfortunately, with uh, fatal combat. And therefore, it comes in this section. But it teaches us, as it taught the children of Israel, how to be good soldiers. Now, I have to say, whilst there were some nations that had some similar rules in some aspects, we know this from archaeology, the Moabite stone uh, gives us some of the rules of the Moabites, which in some cases were, uh, were, were similar to this. On the whole, these rules here were revolutionary. You've got to remember, this was before the Geneva Convention. And what you have here is rules that limit and rules which preserve and rules that seek nearly every case to honour life. You have people being offered peace rather than war. You have the preservation of trees. You have all these sorts of things. And it's actually an amazing chapter. Yes, there is the issue of the Canaanites being killed, and we'll talk about that. But it is an amazing chapter on the rules of warfare when you consider especially the day in which Moses was inspired to write it. But as I say, we look at it spiritually as New Testament Christians. And what we do is we take the lens of the New Testament and read the Old Testament through it. And that then helps us to see the value of this for our Christian life. And when we look at it, we see some basic things about what it means to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So first of all then, a good soldier of Jesus Christ is not afraid in verses 1 through to 4. And uh, this passage begins, when you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. And then if you come down to verse 3, you'll notice in the middle of the verse it says, do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid and do not tremble or be terrified because of them. And actually, even down in verse 8, the officer shall speak further to the people and say, What man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. And uh, the first measure of, of instruction that God gave the Israelites, and which applies to us as well, is in the matter of fear. And you know what? Wartime can be frightening, can't it? Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, I read about Frank Sinatra in a newspaper article, and they said that when Mayor Giuliani wanted to set up a statue to Frank Sinatra in Times Square, 
there was a lot of opposition from Americans saying, no, we shouldn't be putting a statue up to that man. That man avoided being drafted into the army. And while all the other people were overseas fighting the war, he was at home and he was having affairs with women and, and things like this. And he was, uh, he, was not a, he was not living a good lifestyle. That, that was the big debate. And uh, a lot of people say, you know, he fiddled his papers so that he didn't have to go to war because he was very frightened. Now, actually, after an examination of his papers, it actually looks that it did, he did actually have a legitimate health reason for not being drafted up. But nevertheless, some people do come into that category, don't they? They are afraid of going to war. And God said to the Israelites, when you go out to battle, you shall not be afraid. You shall not be afraid. This comes up repeatedly through this passage. And God isn't under any illusions about how difficult it is. And he's telling the Israelites before they've even come into the promised land, you know, you're going to see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you. I mean, what a word of comfort that is as you go towards battle. You know, they've got tanks and weaponry you haven't got, and there's a whole lot more of them than you ever had. That's enough to make any man's knees knock. But God said, you shall not be afraid of them. And the priest was to come forward and to remind the people not to be afraid. Uh, It says in verse 2, so it shall be when you are on the verge of battle, the priest shall approach and speak to the people. And he shall say, hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Now, Why is it the children of God were not to be afraid of going to war? The reason for this was twofold. First of all, because of the Lord our God who was with them. You'll notice in this whole chapter, the phrase for the Lord is the Lord your God. That's a beautiful phrase, isn't it? Four words, the Lord your God. And if you take away nothing else from this sermon tonight, take away those four words into the week and it will strengthen you. The Lord is your God. And seven times the Lord your God comes all the way through this chapter. And the Lord your God who has a covenant with you, he is going to fight for you. That's the message. And he says you don't need to be afraid because God will fight the battles for you and actually down in verse 4 he says for the lord your god is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you there's three things there he goes with you he's by your side he fights for you against your enemies and he will save you and you know when we look at the wars of israel and we see when israel was walking in faith the battles and the victories they had it can only be due to the fact that the lord Their God was with them. We read some of the stories of the judges when uh, they had been oppressed for many years, like in the days of Barak and and Deborah, and how they overthrew Jabin, king of Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots up in the north, and they came against the people. How did they overcome? God gave them victory. God gave them victory. God caused the rain to fall down so their chariots got bogged down in the, in the, uh, in, in the, in the mud. And uh, the people were therefore all on, on foot together and the battle was evened out. And God made their enemy leader flee into the tent of a woman whose name was Jael. And 
she brought home the victory in a very powerful way. <laughs> Go and read it tonight. It'll, uh, it'll keep you awake all night after reading that. But uh, it's uh, how God gave great victory and deliverance by his being with them and his victory from them. And not only that, they were to not be afraid because he said, they said here in verse one, for the Lord your God is with you who brought you up from the land of Egypt. In other words, remember the past and you'll see how God has brought you through as well. So when you go into battle, remember these two things. Remember the Lord is with you and look back on the past, how God gave you victory and deliverance. Listen to the words of your priest who is speaking to you and you will be strengthened in your faith. Now, how do we apply this spiritually? Because in warfare, uh, there is always fear involved for the natural man. In spiritual warfare, that is the case too. Sometimes it can be real uh, uh, fear when we think about going out to witness and evangelize for the Lord. Maybe we want to share our faith with someone in our family and we feel, oh, you know, I really want to tell my, my brother or my sister about the Lord, but, you know, I'm just so worried about how it's going to be and how it's going to go and it's, it causes anxiety and stress. How do we face that? We pray about it and we go in faith, not fear, for the Lord our God goes with us and will help us. Maybe we're involved in real uh, spiritual warfare. Perhaps I remember one time I was asked uh, to go and pray because somebody had some spooky goings on in their house over the night. And they said, and all the family, they hadn't slept all night. And they were terrified because of some sort of spooky ghost things that had been happening in the house. I've got to be honest with you, I was frightened. <laughs> I, was fr- I thought, I've got to go and pray in this house. What, what's going to happen? You know, so I, I, I fasted and I asked some other friends to pray for me. And we went and God, and God graciously answered, answered our prayers and delivered them. And the interesting thing was the non-Christian family we were praying for, they all said immediately, it's gone. They knew the moment we prayed, it's gone. If their faces, they just look so relieved. God honoured it and was gracious. And I look back on that now and I think, Lord, you know, that wasn't me. That was you entirely. But God, God was with us. So whatever it is, and, and perhaps we're thinking of the future. Perhaps we're thinking of uh, uh, how will I stand as a Christian at university? How will it be in times of persecution? Wherever the battle is, a good soldier of Christ Jesus is not afraid because he remembers the Lord your God is with you and he remembers what he's done in the past. And remember the priest said that. And who's our priest? The Lord Jesus. He speaks from heaven and reassures us. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 28, Paul said, And be not in any way terrified of by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. So don't be afraid. 2 Timothy 1.7, the Lord has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. So that's the first way we can be a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Secondly, we can be a good soldier of Christ Jesus by not being entangled in the affairs of this life. And that's what we come on to in verses 4 through to 8. It says, then the officers shall speak to the people saying, what man is there who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. 
and on down to verse 9. Now after the priest has spoken, then some other people come and address the Israeli troops before they go into battle. They're called the officers here. The Hebrew word is shoterim, S-H-O-T-E-R-I-M. And uh, they were the word, it's the words that was used earlier on in the book for the magistrates in the, in the nation of Israel. But these people were also the captains, the leaders. And the captains after the, stand up and speak to the men after the priests have spoken to them. And basically, they list out three things, or four things if you count the fear thing as well, uh, that are reasons why people can go back. If they have a new house, they haven't dedicated. And this was a a reality because people did dedicate houses in those days. Psalm 30 is a psalm of David and the inscription is for when he dedicated his house. So that's interesting, isn't it? You know, we think that's a sort of a a nice modern thing to do when you get a new house. Invite the pastor around to pray for for it as you settle in. And that's what they did too. But he says, if you've built a new house and you haven't dedicated, go back home to it lest somebody else dedicate it. Or if you've planted a vineyard and not yet eaten of it, return to your house. You know, if you had a vineyard and it was a new vineyard, you couldn't eat of its fruit until the fifth year. The first four years belonged to the Lord and were a harvest to the Lord according to the laws of Leviticus. And the fifth year you could have the crop for yourself and then uh, afterwards for that. So you had five years exemption from warfare if you had a new vineyard there. And uh, in verse 7, if you were betrothed to a woman, uh, is engaged to a woman and not yet married her, well, you could go back Uh, as well from the front line if that was the case the reason for these things is this if you had any of these situations you weren't going to be any good on the battlefield you know why because you're going to be thinking about that all the time instead of the battle in front of you can you imagine the soldiers going into battle and there's a whole load of muscly men at the back and they're sort of like pulling back while the others go forward and they say, well, you know, you know I've just got engaged. <laughs> you know, I, I, I want to get married. And, uh, uh, you know, I can't, I can't go into the battle. Uh, uh, you know, it wouldn't do for me to, you know, leave my wife like this. And, uh, and other men saying, well, you know, you know if my vineyard is now in the fourth year. You know, I'm about to get that crop, you know, that I can now have for myself according to the law. You know, I've worked for this all this time. I can't, I can't lose this. So I'm going to let the other men take the heat of the battle you can't go into battle like that and person with the house in the same way people have to be wholehearted when it comes to warfare and so they said these are exemptions by which these men can come out of the military and you remember Gideon actually used the one about fear before going to battle against Midian and uh, he said all of those who are frightened to go to war after the old uh, the drinking water thing you can go as well and something like I can't remember was it 22,000 men <laughs> left <laughs> from the from the battlefield and brought it right down to his number of 300 uh, and uh, those 300 were very brave men to have stayed there but the point is this You can't be a good soldier and be entangled in the affairs of this life. Did you remember we read that in 2 Timothy 2.4 just a little bit earlier about a good soldier doesn't let himself get entangled so that he may please his commanding officer. And you know what's so easy for us in life, isn't it? To 
let good things come and take over so that we're hindered from serving the Lord and being faithful to him. Not even bad things. There's, there's, none of these things here is a bad thing, but it would affect a soldier. And in life, sometimes good things can hold us back. You know, sometimes uh, a pet can hold us back. When we were in Reading, uh, I think I can say this now because we're far enough away from this situation, which was uh, many, probably 30 years ago, uh, and the people I don't even know are still alive anymore. But there were some people in a church that we were connected to, and they bought horses. They were there at church every Sunday. But you know what? As soon as they bought two horses for their daughters, they weren't there at church anymore. Because they had to see to the horses all the time at the stables. They had to clean the stables. They had to groom the horses. And then came the shows and the events that they were involved in. And they were doing well. The horse was competing. And they were doing well. And the girls were getting good at this horse riding. And suddenly they were entangled with the affairs of this life. Rather than serving Christ Jesus. One simple thing like that. It can happen to any of us. And none of us is above it. We need to be on guard brothers and sisters. Against these things. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 6, what he said about money, uh, about serving mammon. He said, A man cannot serve two masters. You'll either serve one and hate the other. You can't serve both. And this is a real warning. A friend of mine bought a boat. It'll be great for our time off, you know, we'll be able to go away on our boat. Time off was then every weekend, he was never in church. Always down at the down at the sea with that boat, and it was such a sad shame, such a for a, a time in that man's life. Thank God, he I believe he came through it, but it was a hindrance to him. Let's be on guard. We want to be good soldiers of Christ Jesus. Let's not be entangled with the affairs of this life. And if something is entangling in you at this time, brother or sister, I want to urge you to cut it off. It's not an easy thing to do. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles and the weights that hinder us. Throw them off so you can run a better race for Christ. It's not an easy thing to get rid of a horse. Not an easy thing to sell a boat. You think, oh, we had so many nice times on that boat. But you know what? You've got to weigh up. At the end of your life, What do you really want to be? When you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and you see those nail-pierced hands and you know your eternity was purchased by his blood on the cross, do you want to say, well, I'm really glad we kept that boat. I'm really glad we kept those horses. Or will you say then, man, I wish we'd we'd had the courage to do it and live for the Lord. You you, You know what I'm saying is true, don't you? So let those things go if they are a hindrance to you. May God give you the grace. May God give me the grace not to get us tangled too. Third thing, uh, a good soldier of Christ Jesus recognises leaders. And this is verse 9. It says, And so it shall be when the officers have finished speaking to the people that they shall make captains of the armies to lead the people. 
And in the situation of going out to war, once they had uh, encouraged the people not to be fearful and then sorted out those who were going back, the next thing to do was to appoint leaders out of the people to lead them into battle. And this is a very simple point, but every army needs leadership. If you ever have an army without a leader, you have disorganisation. And that could not be the case. The Lord is a God of order. And so he said to them, they were to appoint captains to lead the army. And of course, the people had to respect that authority. And you know what? This has a parallel for us in the church as well, in that God has appointed leaders inside the church. He's appointed those who are elders and deacons as overseers and pastors in the church to lead the church. And we are to respect their authority. I'm not going to harp on about this because I'm not insecure, <laughs> but uh, I just think this is a good thing for us to remember. God wants us to respect authority in the church and uh, to let those who he is gifted and called to lead to be able to do so. Then fourthly, we are to take the message of peace. And now this is where the rubber hits the road or the sword uh, gets out of the sheath, ready for battle. And in verse 10, he says, when you go near to a city to fight against it, then proclaim an offer of peace to it. And it shall be that if they accept your offer of peace and open to you, then all the people who are found in it shall be placed under tribute to you and serve you. Now, if the city will not make peace with you, but war against you, then you shall besiege it, and the Lord your God, and when the Lord your God delivers it into your hands, you shall strike every male in it with the edge of the sword. And it goes on. Now, when they were going out to war, there were two groups of, of, of nations they could be engaged with. There could be the seven nations inside the land, which were the Hittites, the Jebusites, and all the otherites. All right, and then there were those who were outside the land, further afield, who they may be called into contact with. And these verses deal with both situations. First of all, it starts on the outside, then it moves in. So it starts off with a city. When you go near a city to fight against it, and it's not a city that's nearby. So we're talking about a city for in the land of Israel, say, a city that's up in Lebanon or something like this, or a city that's over in Jordan or a city that's down in Egypt. What do they do in those situations? First of all, they go and they offer peace. Now, this is humane warfare. You don't just go in and annihilate. You offer peace, first of all. And if they have peace, then all is good. And uh, they will be under your rule and, and they, will be, uh, a, they will serve you as, as the children of Israel. And by the way, what we have here is the evidence that God intended the kingdom of Israel, like David's kingdom, to spread over the nations as far out uh, as the Lord would bless them to be able to go. Uh, but if they didn't, then what would happen would be then it would be a case of war. Now, what we see in this is a picture of the gospel. Because you and I as soldiers of Christ Jesus, we are called to go to people with the message. And we are to tell them, God is offering you peace. He's offering you peace through the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is an offer of peace now. And we urge you to take it. 
Peace through his son. Peace through his death on the cross. Peace through Christ Jesus. But if people won't take it, do you know what happens then? The Lord eventually will bring judgment on them as there was the, uh, the warfare on these cities. And this is what we're to do. We are to offer peace then take the message of peace to others. Did you notice in the spiritual uh, armour in Ephesians chapter 6, we have all these pieces of armour like the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, and then we have the the shoes, the gospel shoes that are fitted, the shoes of the gospel of peace. And that's in this context. We're to take the message. God is offering you peace. Peace through his blood. Colossians chapter 1 puts it beautifully. It says mankind's at enmity against God. But the Lord Jesus Christ came to make peace with us through his blood on the cross. That's what's offered to mankind. And you know what? When you take one of those little tracts and you offer it to someone. Say, here, would you read this? I think this would be, it'd be good for you to read. You're making that declaration. God is offering you peace through his son. And is an opportunity for salvation. But if they reject Christ continually to the end, then sadly we can have to say there will be no peace for them. And they will come under judgment. And that's how the gospel works. And uh, there will be no peace for the unsaved at the end. There's no peace, says my God, for the wicked. But you'll notice there's two groups here. As I said, there's the groups that are further out. That's like the people in the world who we're reaching. But then there's the nations inside the land and they weren't to offer peace to them because they were under judgment from God already. The Hittites, the Amorites and so on. You remember the Lord had sent them into the land because the sin of the Amorites had now reached the full. And God had said these nations were to be judged. And the warfare of Israel... Please listen to me in this. Was not Israel's gripe against other peoples. It wasn't Israel as a warmongering people. They were fighting the battles of the Lord. They were fighting the battles of the Lord. And it was God's judgment on wicked nations for their actions. We will talk about this more one day because I feel this is a a big issue uh, in apologetics for a lot of people. Uh, I'll go into it when we've got more time and we're a bit more fresh. But the judgments of God on the land of Canaan were not cruel. They were fair. And God was actually dealing with very wicked people. I don't have problems with wicked people being punished. I don't have problems with wicked people being punished. The nation of Israel was full of paedophiles. Not the nation of Israel, the, nation, the land of Canaan was full of paedophiles. They committed child sacrifice. We know that from archaeology and things like this. You can say what you like to me. I don't have a problem with God judging that. I think that's righteous. And this is what God was doing. And he was cleansing it so that they themselves wouldn't learn those sins and go against the Lord their God. How does this relate to us, though? Well, the people outside, the people we offer peace to, but there's another war, isn't there? The war inside me. (laughs) The war with my sinful flesh, my appetites, my desires. And I want to tell you, there is no offer of peace to the flesh. I have to crucify the old man. I have to crucify the sinful nature and kill him. No mercy. Nail him to the cross. Uh, I, I like a Christian band by the name of Petra, <coughs> and uh, they're uh, old-time rockers, and uh, they have a song called Killing My Old Man, and at first I thought, oh, 
What's this about? You know, killing, killing my old man. You may not understand. He's a terrible man. But I've got to kill him. Got to nail him to the wood. And you realise the song is about killing the old man. Not killing my father. But killing my old man. And crucifying him. That's what we've all got to do. And it's a part of our spiritual warfare. We don't make peace with sin inside us. God help us with that battle as well. The last bit of the, the, the guidance here, <coughs> which affects us, is that a good soldier of Christ Jesus looks for fruit. In verses 19 to 20, when you besiege a city for a long time while making war against it to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. If you can eat of them, do not cut them down to use in the siege, for the tree of the field is man's food. Only the trees which you know are not trees for food, you may destroy and cut down to build seed works against the city that makes war with you until it is subdued. The final part of this whole chapter is to do with trees. It's not to do with people, it's to do with trees. And God is saying, I want you to look after the trees. Now, I've got to tell you, this is this to me is beautiful. I love trees. I'm not a tree hugger, but uh, I, I do love trees. And I, I think trees are beautiful. But you know what? God said it not just because trees are pretty to look at, but because he wanted to preserve the food in the land, the fruit. You know, in the Bible, there's 15 types of trees uh, that are mentioned <coughs> and many of them were vital for life in the land of Israel do you know every part of the date palm tree was used for survival in Israel every part either for medicine or for food or whatever it was vital God had put it there in the land so God says when you go to war don't be narrow-minded we're not conducting a scorched earth policy here all right don't cut down the fruit trees when you're making a siege against the city. Use the non-fruit trees because that way you preserve the food. Now what God meant as a common sense rule for Israel in the New Testament, John the Baptist picks up and he says this is a gospel issue. And he said to the Pharisees at the banks of the river Jordan, when they came to see him baptize sinners who were turning to Christ, and he said, bear fruits worthy of repentance, for the axe is already laid to the root of the trees. What was he saying? He was saying, if you don't bear fruit, you won't be spared the judgment of God. And fruit in the Bible is a picture of reality in our conversion. You know the parable of the, of the, of the uh, soils, um, the parable of the weeds and the tares. Do you know when the difference comes through? The difference comes through when the wheat then buds, when it comes to maturity. The tares has no fruit on it. And this is the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. Tonight we can all be here as nice church-going people at Union Chapel. But the Lord knows who's really his or not by the mark of fruit in our lives. Jesus said that you shall bear fruit to my Father's glory in John 15 verse 8. And this is the test of salvation. So a good soldier of Christ Jesus looks for fruit. And we need to look for that fruit in our lives too. 
By the way, spiritually, there's, it's interesting to see in Revelation chapter 7 that before the uh, 144,000 are sealed and the judgments come on the tribulation, uh, the angels say, do not harm all the trees in, in, in the last days. It's interesting it's connected with this issue. But I want to ask you this question tonight. Are you bearing fruit to the Lord Jesus Christ? And are you a good soldier of Jesus Christ? Warfare is a nasty business, but there is a battle while we're in this world. And we have the Lord on our side. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we have the Lord to give us victory. And the Lord will give Union Chapel victory and the people of God victory if we're not afraid. If we don't get entangled with the affairs of this life. If we recognize the leaders and ultimately our divine leader, the Lord Jesus Christ. If we take the message of peace to the people and we bear fruit for God, we'll be good soldiers of Christ Jesus. May God help each and every one of us to be so. Amen.